Galatians 5 and verse 1. And the reason I think it was on my mind is because I was doing a Freedom in Christ Away Day with Jennifer last Saturday. And this was the verse that I started with and I finished with, thinking I was putting it out there for other people. But then it just has bounced around inside my head all week long. So this is Galatians 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 1 again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Father, I thank you for your word. I have confidence, Lord, that this is what you want us to be thinking about this morning. And I pray, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, your word will achieve great things in our hearts as we listen. Amen. We talk about freedom a lot. The word free is in our vocabulary an awful lot. I be pretty sure at some stage during this past week, you have probably said to somebody, when are you free? When are you free? Um, in other words, when will you be available that we can spend time together? Or when can we have a chat? When can we meet? When are you free? When are all the other things that are trying to get your attention? When are they going to be quiet for a time that we can be together? When are you free? Or you'll hear kids saying, after these exams are over, I'll be free. You know, once this mountain has been, has been climbed and once we've got through it, or maybe it's a valley rather than a mountain, uh, I'll be free. I, I'll, have the, the, I'll not have this to worry about. Or if there are things that are troubling us and annoying us, we, we frequently would say, if I could just get free from this situation, this issue, then, then I'd be happy. We love freedom and we crave freedom. One of the greatest moments in Hollywood history, uh, in my own personal limited uncultured opinion, is that moment when William Wallace is about to be executed and he's literally being ripped apart <clears throat> by his tormentors and he, he starts to mouth a word that he wants to say and he just gathers up the strength to say one last word and he screams at the top of his voice the word freedom incredibly powerful moment and if it doesn't move you when you watch it you wonder what's going on in somebody's heart very very powerful freedom if you look at martin luther king's gravestone 
It says on his gravestone, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Humanity craves freedom and talks about freedom a lot. And it's a huge theme throughout the Bible. Uh, The problem is that the human race has a tendency to repeatedly become enslaved. We just seem to lapse back into slavery a lot. And it's something that Paul writes about in in 5.1 of Galatians where he says, Stand firm then, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He knows there is a very real risk of God's people sliding back into a place of slavery, away from the freedom that Christ has bought for them. And there are two particular times of slavery, of bondage, of captivity in the Old Testament story of God's people. The first one is the Exodus. And they were in slavery in Egypt because of human oppression. They were not in Egypt because of sin. They were in Egypt because of the oppression of human enemies, of Pharaoh, of Egypt, of people who did not know God, and they were oppressing the people of God. That was the first great slavery. And then the second time that they were enslaved, so to speak, was when they were in Babylon for 70 years. And on that occasion, it was because of sin. And it was because of idolatry. So you've got these two great tyrants over God's people. You've got human oppression, which is motivated by by the enemy. And you've got the oppression of sin and idolatry, which is also motivated by the enemy. Things that want to take God's people captive. But God is a bondage breaker, all right? God is someone who loves to take away the chains, get away the burdens, and allow people to live free. I want you to see, and I want you to be leafing around through the Bible today, or on your phone, or whatever you've got. Um, But I want you to go to Exodus chapter 3, and I want you to follow me around where I am today, because um, I just need you to do that. Because if I call you to go to a, a passage... That gives me about five seconds to actually <laughs> try, try and coherently figure out what, um, what it is that's going on in my head. Hopefully spirit-led. But in Exodus chapter 3, we, a, a few of us, a few Saturdays, went, went through a pile of chapters in, in Exodus um, a few weeks ago. And, and this verse just really, really resounded in our spirits. Exodus 3, verse 7. Um, The Lord said, this is when when God has revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. And he's about to tell Moses his name. I am who I am, Yahweh. But in verse 7, I want you to listen to this. Listen to the way God speaks to people. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Just allow some of those phrases about what God has done or what God has seen in verse 7 and 8 to come at you. I have seen, all right? 
God says his, his people in Exodus 3 are in bondage, they're in slavery, and he says, I have seen it. How often do we sometimes go through things in life and convince ourselves that we are not being seen by our Heavenly Father? He says, I have seen your misery. Not only have I seen it in verse 7, I have heard. We have a God who sees and who hears. He is not distant. Never distant. He cannot be distant. He dwells within us by the Holy Spirit. I have indeed seen and I have heard. And then further on in the verse, I am concerned. I'm concerned. We have a God who is compassionate. He hears and he sees and he is concerned about us. He's concerned about you. He's concerned about the things that just churn up in your heart. I was reading, reading through Job and my reading plan and there was a verse the other day, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it just talked about his heart churning within him. God sees, God hears, God is concerned and he says, I have come down to rescue. I have come down to rescue them. I love that. Church, if you get nothing else this morning, will you get the fact that God sees you, he hears you, he's concerned about you, and he's come down to rescue. That is Jesus. <laughs> That's the gospel. Uh, that, is, that is the incarnation. That is, is coming down to rescue people from bondage. And the first time that you see God directly addressing old snake features since Genesis 3 is actually in Exodus where he speaks to Pharaoh because Pharaoh on his headdress, on the front of his headdress, there's a snake. In fact, there might have been two sort of enraged cobras on, the, on, the, on his headdress. And when God sends a message to Pharaoh, I haven't written down the exact verse that it is, I have, I see it. It's Exodus 4, verse 18. The message that God gives to Moses and says, you take this to Pharaoh. And I want you to remember, we're talking about freedom. We're talking about the, the, the tendency of people to slip into slavery and the message that God takes right into the heart of the enemy, okay? Right to Pharaoh, Via his servant Moses in Exodus 4.18, the message is this. Let my people go. That's the command of a liberating God. That's the command of a God who is opposed to slavery. Who did not make humanity in his image to be in chains. And to be driven by taskmasters. God is a God of freedom. He says, let my people go. And he went to great lengths to release his people from slavery in Egypt. The plagues. The death of the firstborn. The parting of the Red Sea. The fire and the cloud. He went to extremes to set those people free. And whenever he got them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and into the wilderness and to Mount Sinai, when he met them, he says a very important phrase. And whenever we're, we're, we're young, we most of us memorize the Ten Commandments. And it's really insightful for those Sunday school teachers and youth leaders and parents 
who make their kids also learn the first verse of the chapter or the first phrase before the first commandment. Because God comes and says to them in Exodus 20 verse 2, look at how he identifies himself. And this happens over and over again in Exodus, over and over again in the prophets. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's your God, church, okay? He is the one who brought us out of bondage. He is the liberating, bondage-breaking Father God. And he repeatedly introduces himself to his people. This is who I am. I am a bondage-breaker. I am one who brings people out of oppression and into wide-open spaces of freedom. And if you don't want freedom, I, I don't know. I just don't know how any human being is happy to be enslaved and to be in chains and to have a heart constantly churning within them that within us by by default and by design there is a yearning to be free to be free and God says I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery but we have a problem in numbers 13 if you would go there please just to just to satisfy me if nothing else numbers 13 we have a problem Because there's something in our hearts that allows us to slip back into slavery. Even when we've been set free. And I want to just go through this little story, a familiar story in the history of Israel, before we get back to Galatians 5 again. Because you see, freedom isn't easy. Sometimes we we can mistake it and think, well, we're free, therefore everything is ease and leisure and no problems. But that's not quite true. And the people who were set free from Egypt knew about problems and they knew about challenges and they knew about struggles. And anyone who has walked with God any period of time knows the freedom from oppression, knows the freedom from sin, and also knows it's not an easy ride. (laughs) Yes? It's not an easy ride. And whenever things get tight for the Israelites, they start to pine for slavery. They want to go back. When they face challenges on the road to freedom, something in them starts to murmur and say, I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to slavery. It's a strange thing, but you read it over and over again in the story of the Exodus, when every time there's a complaint, every time there's a challenge, there's grumbling and there's a desire to go back to that from which God has freed them. In Numbers 13, there's the famous story of the spies who are sent out to suss out the land and see what it's like. Just look in Numbers 13, 17. Just look at what their mission was. Moses sent them to explore Canaan, the promised land, where God had said way back in Exodus 3 that I read to you a few minutes ago, I'm going to rescue them and bring them to this land. So Moses sends them into the land and he says in verse 17, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are, are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? 
do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So that's the mission that Moses sent them with. And they go into the land and they find a couple of really big things. In verse 22, they find big people. The descendants of Anak. They're listed there in the middle of all those names and places. You've got the descendants of Anak. They were big. They were big. It is thought that Goliath was one of the descendants of Anak as well. So they saw giant people, threatening people, intimidating people. And they also then found big grapes. In verse 22, they reached the valley of Eshgol. They cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. The bunch of grapes was so big that they actually had to tie it to a pole and the pole was on one guy's shoulder and then the grapes and then the other end of the pole on the other guy's shoulder. That's how fruitful the land is. That's what God wants to bring us to. (laughs) A place of abundance and fruitfulness and provision. But there are giants in the way. There's opposition and there is oppression and difficulty. And these spies... These 12 men that were sent in were all leaders. You read in verse 3 of chapter 13, these weren't just sort of any random punters that were picked at, you know, from the crowd. They were leaders already. And they were sent in to spy out the land. And they should have known better. But they came back and the report they brought wasn't good. In verse 27, they gave Moses this account. They said, it does flow with milk and honey. It is like God said it is. And here's the fruit. Here's the grapes. Verse 28, but. (laughs) Oh, it was a but, isn't there? But. There's a problem. The people who live there are powerful. Oh, they're powerful. It's not going to be easy getting into that land. The people who live there are powerful. The cities, fortified, very large. And the descendants of Anak are there. The the giants are there. All of the ites are there. You have a whole list. Whenever you see a list of ites in the Bible, it's bad news. All the ites are there. And they come to the conclusion that it can't be done. They have no thought of God anywhere in their report. No mention of him. No mention of his power, of his calling. All there is, is the opposition, the challenges and the difficulties. But there's an upstart in the mix. There's a whippersnapper. There's a tenacious so-and-so called Caleb. (laughs) And Caleb says in verse 30, says Caleb silenced the people. I wonder, was he gentle and polite? Or did he just yell at them? Shut up. (laughs) And he says, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can surely do it. The voice of faith speaks. I can picture him listening to these guys going through all of the reasons why it can't be done. And he's just there and he's, he's a bit like me. He's sort of fidgeting and he's tapping his toes and he's fiddling about with his fingers and he's just rah, getting more and more wound up and then he just can't contain it any longer. 
And he shouted, we can do this. We can. He's sick of listening to their negativity. He's sick of their mindset that says, yes, that's amazing, but we can't do it. He's tired of the attitude of just staying put and playing safe. He wants to move. He wants to believe what God has called them to. And they continue with their arguments in the last few verses of the chapter. We can't attack them. They're bigger than we are. They're bigger than we are. The land, you know, they start to get into all sorts of artistic license. They say that the, the land they explored devours those who are living in it. As if it, the earth opens up and swallows people. And they say in verse 32, the people are huge. And they start to exaggerate the opposition. There is opposition, but these guys start to make it sound worse than it is. They start to blow it up out of all proportion to put fear into the people. And the problem of these 10 spies that brought back the bad report is that they had, they just God wasn't in their thinking at all. And I can imagine what the conversation was like on the way back as those 12 spies made their way back from checking out the promised land for 40 days and eating the grapes and all that. And as, as, the, as the 12 of them are heading back towards Moses and the rest of the camp, I can imagine the 10 muttering and murmuring and negativity and Caleb and Joshua with them just bouncing around like two kids full of life and full of excitement. Guys, we can do this. Shut up, Caleb. Just leave us alone. No, we, we can conquer these people. We can, Caleb, shut up. Do not tell Moses that when we get back. Don't tell him that. Just keep your enthusiasm and keep your, your vigor and your excitement at bay. All right, we're going to play it safe and we're going to stay alive. We can do, no, Caleb, button it. And they just squabble, I believe, with him the whole way home, trying to silence the voice of faith. Trying to silence the voice of faith. The voice of someone who has heard God and believes that God will do what he said. And then in, in the, the reason I got drawn into this passage in, in the start of chapter 14, that night, as I, as I read Galatians 5 and I thought about that tendency to go back into captivity, at the start of chapter 14, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Paul says, stand firm and do not be yoked again by slavery. Don't ever go back thinking that it is better than your freedom. They didn't want to go back to sin. They were not in Egypt because of sin. <laughs> but something caused them to fear the opposition, to lose sight of God and to want to go back to Egypt. Maybe Egypt provided them with structure. Maybe in Egypt they knew when their meals were going to come. I'm sure they weren't very nice. And I'm sure the portions weren't very big. But they maybe knew when food was going to come. They maybe knew where they were going to sleep at night. They had a routine. It was a horrible routine under the, the, the horrible slave masters of Pharaoh. But still they had something that they could just go back to and live in among those rules of Egypt. 
And as they are facing opposition, something in their heart says, I want to go back to slavery. Shocking. You read of it over and over again as, as they complain against Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. My goodness. How tragic. How tragic that people who have been set free and experienced freedom and seen the power of God want to go back to the life of Egypt. And Caleb begs with them in verse 7. And Caleb talks about God. Caleb talks about God. He says, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us. And he will give it to us. We have a God who leads and we have a God who gives. Right? He hears, he sees, he is concerned, he comes down, he rescues, he leads, he gives. This is what God does to people who speak the language of faith and belief in him. And Caleb actually says to the people in verse 9, do not rebel against the Lord. You're not just making some sort of decision to, to, to choose to go uh, back to Egypt and, and that it's, it's okay. It's not. You're called to be free. And if you go back to slavery, you're rebelling against God. You're rebelling against the call of God on your life. It is not an option. You can't just say, I will pass on this call. The call is to freedom. The call is to freedom, not to go back. And I can imagine, I'm putting words in Caleb's mouth, but I can imagine him saying, we are not going back. We're not going back. I have seen too much. I can imagine Caleb just saying, I've seen too much. I will not go back. I have heard too much. I can imagine Moses getting involved and says, I have seen a lot as well. And I've heard a lot. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I've seen what there is in the promised land. I've tasted of it. I've tasted of the freedom that, that has been purchased for us. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. You see, people like Caleb do not have reverse in their gearbox. They may move forward at different paces, but the option of going back is removed completely. Not going back to slavery. God has called us to freedom. To freedom. And in verse 10, they want to stone Caleb and they want to stone Joshua. Those who are space, just like David in Ziklag in 1 Samuel 30. They want to stone the very people that God has called to lead them on into their freedom and into the promised land. And God is angry. God shows up in verse 10. If there's going to be any reckon done, God's going to do it. It will not be these people. And there are bleak words spoken throughout the rest of the chapter. Those who wanted to go back to Egypt, God says in verse 23, he said, no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. It's not, it, wasn't, it wasn't just an option. It wasn't just a choice. They were treating the call of God with contempt by longing to go back to slavery. 
And then God says to them in verse 25 at the end of the verse, set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Red Sea was behind them. They had come through the Red Sea and they were moving on. And because of this, God said, turn around and go back towards the Red Sea. If that's what you want, that's what you can have. You want to go back to to Egypt. You want to go back in that direction. You want to turn away from this land of promise and fruitfulness, away from all that I want to call you into. Away you go. Back towards the Red Sea. What was different about Caleb? What was different about Joshua? Verse 24 tells us. In verse 24, God describes Caleb and says, Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. I wonder wonder what that spirit is. My servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. He's going to see it. He's a different spirit. That's, that's what sets him apart. And once you've tasted and seen and heard freedom in the Holy Spirit, you don't want to ever go back. You don't want to ever, ever, ever go back. And in Galatians, if you go back to Galatians, <clears throat> And you'll see how this problem comes back again and again and again to God's people. This pulling back into slavery. The problem in Galatia was that there was confusion because a group had come into the church And we're trying to cause God's people to go back under the law. In verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. He says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So, so these people had come in and were saying, yes, you need, to, you need to follow Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. And Paul says, well, if you're going to do that, you've got to follow all of the law. In, verse, in chapter 2, just so you can see how powerful this influence is, Somebody you would not expect to slip back into slavery has slipped back in chapter 2. His name's Peter. And he was tight with Jesus. (laughs) Really tight with Jesus. There were three people that were closer to Jesus than anyone else. Peter, James and John. And Peter, even Peter, falls for this. Says in verse 11, when Peter came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. And then Paul explains what the wrong was. Whenever Peter was with the Gentile Christians, he would eat with them. But whenever the Jewish Christians came, he moved away from the Gentile Christians and ate with the Jews, because the Jews wouldn't mix with those dirty Gentiles. And this this legalism and this law was getting its grips even into Peter. 
and causing Peter to go back to the old ways of doing things. Peter was close to Jesus. Peter was the guy who sat on the roof of the house and saw the sheet come down in a vision from God and heard God saying to him that the gospel was going to the Gentiles. And Peter started well with the Gentiles, but when the Jews came along, Peter got sucked into it. He got su- Even Peter... And Paul starts chapter 3 shocked and using strong language to say, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? How is it that you started off with Christ crucified, but now you've moved on into trying to attain your goal by human effort? That's slavery. That's legalism. That's slipping back into a life that is not the freedom that God called us to in the Holy Spirit. It is not trying to continue by human effort instead of in the freedom that God has called us to. In chapter 4, he begins off the first few verses of chapter 4 and he describes how we are no longer slaves, we're now children. See, legalism creates slaves again. Whenever we say, yes, you need to follow Jesus, but you also need to do this, 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 and this, jump through these hoops, talk like that, dress like that, go to this. Whenever we do that, we make slaves. We make slaves. And God is not interested in slaves for any other purpose rather than setting them free. And if we start to lay burdens on people again, we're bringing them back into slavery. And that is not what he wants in any way, shape or form. And Paul says, and at the start of chapter four, he says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Thank you, Jesus. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem to rescue, to set free those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters, children. And how do we know that that has happened? Because we are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, all of us. (laughs) Not just a select few, Put the Spirit in our hearts. And what does the Spirit do when he gets there? He causes us, he instinctively cries out from within us, Father, you know the Spirit is in you whenever you hear that. Just coming up over and over again. Father, you're not not trying to impress God. You just have this cry within you. Father, comes out instinctively. That's the Spirit. That's the evidence of the Spirit. There's so many ways that we've limited the Holy Spirit and have ranted at you relentlessly about it, how we have somehow reduced the Spirit to, he does these couple of things, he gives these gifts and he does this and he does you know, a few wee things. It is him in me that teaches me to say, Father, that's the work of the Holy Ghost. How would any human being ever approach Almighty God and have the audacity to say, Father, unless it was the Holy Spirit in him or her. Verse 7, you're no longer a slave. You are a son and a daughter. 
Legalism. Law, going back to Egypt, creates slaves. The Holy Spirit produces children for God. At the end of chapter 4, there's a comparisons throughout the last bit of chapter 4. He, he compares Mount Sinai to the Jerusalem above. Mount Sinai is legalism and it creates slaves. The law is gone. We're not under the law. Please don't misunderstand me, but I don't need the Ten Commandments recited every day. I have the Holy Spirit in me. Do you think he's going to allow me to have any other gods but him? Do I need to recite that? It's, you know, don't misunderstand me. It's important and it's true. But when the Holy Ghost resides within us, you're not going to steal. You're not going to steal. You're not going to commit adultery with the Holy Ghost residing within you. You don't need to memorize it and go over it in your mind day in, day out. You've got to live in the Spirit and live in the freedom that God has given you and trust that he will transform all of your desires. All of your desires. Spirit people don't need laws and rules and regulations because the Spirit transforms them and empowers them. And he says at the end of chapter 4, we are not children of the slave woman. He compares Hagar with Rachel, Ishmael with Isaac. We are not children of the slave woman. Do you ever think it's harsh that Abraham sent Hagar away? God in his compassion still looked after her. But she had to be sent away because Hagar produces slaves. Human effort produces slaves. The child of promise, Isaac, brings freedom. And then our verse in chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Peter, would you just eat with the Gentiles, no matter who's there? Get with the program. Would you just stop telling people, those, those who are coming into the church, would you stop telling people that they need to be circumcised? They don't. They don't. Freedom is a tremendous word for salvation. What does it mean that Jesus saves? That's language that people, I think, in 2019 maybe can't quite get their head around if they don't have any background of church. Jesus saves means Jesus sets people free. <laughs> he sets them free. And in fact, he said that in Luke chapter 4 as his stated intention as he quoted from Isaiah, he said in, in Luke 4, 18, the Spirit, <laughs> freedom, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He has sent me to proclaim a list of rules. He has sent me to proclaim expectations. He has sent me to hold legal hoops in front of people for them to jump through. No, he has sent me to proclaim freedom. Freedom. He wants to set us free from yesterday and all the things that we carry that we think I should have done that differently. I shouldn't have done that. I was hurt by that. I was hurt by this. I hurt this. He wants to set us free from yesterday. And he wants to set us free from tomorrow and the fears that we have about the future. He wants us to live now 
in the freedom that's been given us. He says, do not be yoked again. That tendency again just to slip back and slip away from freedom. I strongly encourage you to seek God every single day of your life. I encourage you to be disciplined about that as I try to be getting up early in the morning. For me, it doesn't have to be early in the morning. You can do anything you want. But I strongly encourage you to carve out a time. And that is your time for being with God. But you know what? If you're absolutely exhausted... And you know what? If the alarm just doesn't get you because you're so tired, you're not being lazy, but you you finally open your eyes an hour later than you had intended to. God's not angry, folks, all right? Please, you're a child. Live in your freedom. Get up and seek his face anyway, but don't go away around all day with your head hanging and thinking to yourself, oh goodness, I overslept because I'm physically exhausted because there's been a a child crying during the night and therefore God somehow is angry with me. He's not, folks. We're people of freedom. We're people of freedom. Just seek him in the evening instead of the morning. Seek him on your lunch break, but seek him. Seek him in the car, but don't go about all day long thinking you're some sort of useless wretch because out of physical exhaustion, you hit the wrong button on the alarm do not be yoked again and Paul is totally inflexible about this look at him in verse 2 and I'm nearly done mark my words I Paul tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised if you allow yourself in your thinking to go back to legalism Christ will be of no value to you at all can you imagine that your behavior or my behavior or attitude could cause Christ to become of no value. Tragic. He goes so far in in chapter 1 and verse 8 and 9, he says, even if an angel walks in here glowing and sparkling and tells you a different gospel other than the gospel of freedom that I have preached, let him be accursed this is about freedom and how does that freedom work itself out in verse 6 just see how freedom manifests what do free people do verse 6 in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value stop arguing about little things for Paul to say in that context, that circumcision had no value was a big thing to say. In that culture, he says, stop squabbling by little things. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Free people love each other because they're free. They are not enslaved by a mindset that says, what if I get hurt when I give myself in love to this person? They're free. They're free. Look at verse 13 and you'll see the same thing. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The evidence of freedom 
is love. People loving one another. That's what a free people look like. Do you want to be free? It's not easy. But it is what God has called us to and empowered us for. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Who is your slave driver? Who is your Egyptian taskmaster? What is the slavery that you slide back into? It might be sin. Jesus said in John 8, He said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you need set free from sin? Is there something that just snaps at your heels all the time and you need freedom? Do you need set free from legalism as was the issue in Galatians 5? Do you need set free from fear? Fear of people, fear of tomorrow. What is the thing that you need to look at and say, I'm not going back. I have seen too much. I have tasted. I have heard too much. Folks, I got to tell you on Wednesday night, we, we planned this months ago, Linda and I, and we went on Wednesday night to a leader's retreat. We couldn't go to the whole three days, but we went on Wednesday night. And because we were only there for one night, they prioritized us. There's about 20 odd of us, but they said, these guys are only here for a night. We're going to get around these people and pray for them. And we were on the receiving end of 20 minutes, 21 minutes and eight seconds, because I recorded it so I could listen to it again and again, of the most powerful prophetic ministry I've ever encountered in my life. I have seen too much to go back. You would have sworn that those people, one of them a South African who resides in America and I don't think she's ever been to Ireland. <coughs> and you would have sworn that woman was watching us for months. It was breathtaking. I've seen too much of the Holy Ghost, of freedom. I'm not going back. What is it that comes after you and tries to get its hooks into you? And you just need to turn and say, I'm not going back. We are going to enter this land. What is God saying to you? You need to stand firm in. You've tasted freedom. And now he says, you've got to stand firm. You've got to. Don't go back. As I finish, and as the guys come forward, I want to just read from Exodus. The verse that I read at the start. And I want you to see the response of the people. In, in Exodus chapter 3. And then I'm going to read the last verse of Exodus chapter 4. So just try to stay settled as you listen to this. Exodus 3, 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. The last verse of chapter 4 says, When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. They were so profoundly affected by the knowledge that God was concerned about them. Oh, let that just hit you. No matter where you are in your journey, he is concerned about you. He has seen the misery. And the response of the people was to worship. Holy Spirit, come and bring freedom. Thank you, Jesus, that you have set the captives free. Lord, may we remain free. May we not slip back. May we not be entangled again by a yoke of slavery. May we live in our freedom. May we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may we set others free. Freed people love people. And freed people free people. Lord, may our freedom only set us loose to love with complete abandon. Thank you, Jesus. May our hearts be stirred by your concern for us. You're so good. You're so faithful. I love you, Jesus. I pray that freedom would visit this house this morning. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. If anybody would like prayer for anything at all, you can come up here and we can pray with you. You can give somebody beside you a tap on the shoulder and say, I don't want to go up there. Will you pray for me? All right. Every single child of God, you have got everything that I've got. (laughs) I don't have anything that you don't have. Pray for one another. And if you want prayer from us before or after the music or during it, just come right ahead. Bless you.